Welcome to Real Estate Leads Uncovered, the podcast that delves into the dynamic world of lead generation in the real estate industry. Hey, I'm your host, Lisa Carter, and I'm excited to guide you through the challenges, the strategies and success stories that revolve around one of the most crucial aspects of real estate, generating leads. Live from the hottest real estate market in America, Tampa Bay, Florida, this is the Real Estate Leads Podcast with the CEO and founder of the Olga System, your host, Lisa Carter. Wow. 70.6% Latinos who purchased homes in the last few years are under the age of 45. Now, I knew that in terms of the fastest growing demographic in the United States was um, Latino millennials and their purchasing power being huge. As a demographic, Latinos are representing like a trillion dollars of spending power and a lot of that being driven by millennials, which is awesome, but had no idea that they were purchasing homes, which is great. I love to hear young people being first-time home buyers. Um, here to talk to us more about that, Jen Koa, Jennifer Koa from Koa Realty um, in the Merrimack Valley area of Massachusetts and now in New Hampshire. Good morning, Jen. Good morning, Lisa. Great to be here. I'm so glad. Now, I know you're a little bit under the weather, but you, as always, showed up and will help us navigate um, this unique uh, demographic that is super powerful when it comes to spending, but also um, we we can celebrate um, the fact that understanding and making home ownership a priority um, is the demographic. So, um, you know, no, no, um, no mistake, mistake here that you guys um, contribute to a lot of the education and home ownership um, goals of many of the uh, Latino residents and population in the North Shore, Massachusetts, Merrimack Valley area. Um, but I first want to talk about how you became this expert. So first, why did you become a real estate agent? I'm now celebrating the fact that home ownership is such an important part of the DNA of the Latino community. But um, why did you become a real estate agent? Um, I, I think it has to do with perhaps my upbringing. And, you know, I grew up, my mom immigrated um, from, from Puerto Rico here. And although we are a commonwealth, you know, it's a completely different life. And um, she was a single mother and she, she, we lived in housing and we, had, you know, we had welfare and we, we just came from very humble beginnings. And I remember looking around me and I just, no one around us talked about home ownership. I didn't see any examples of anyone around us graduating from housing to home ownership. Um, and honestly, it wasn't until I, I went on a field trip with our church to um, a member's home in Andover that I actually was in a single family home and I was able to see what having a private yard looked like. And I remember talking to her about how did she do it? And I feel like that experience stayed with me. I thought, wow, there's something outside of, of this, you know, environment that I grew up in. And as I grew older, um, I started to, I, I worked in property management so I worked in housing people, in housing communities, right? And so I was sort of perpetuating what I what I grew up in and just helping people who were like us trying to find housing and homes 
affordable homes. And then from there, as I became a professional and I got a higher education, I started to realize that I could also inspire people to get into the housing market and to actually buy their homes. And one of the things that we learned very quickly is that the reason a lot of people weren't buying homes is because they didn't have the right resources uh, financially or the right education. They didn't know how to do it. Now, you mentioned a really good point. Like, how do you do it? So now that, you know, you went from a childhood friend or, um, you know, a church member telling you how they did it. Do you, do you, is that, that journey of their experience becoming a homeowner, are you hearing that over and over again? Or are there new, you know, journeys um, for um, folks coming from Puerto Rico, the Dominican, Cuba, the, um, is the journey very similar? Are we still having that journey um, or are there new challenges to the journey um, for um, someone who's coming to this country, migrating to this country? You know, and you bring up a good point, you're a Commonwealth, you know, and then you got here, you and your family, and you realize that as a Commonwealth, the experience is very different um, than the mainlanders. Right. I think it's definitely, there is a huge adjustment when you're moving into a new country. Um, I think that, we have adopted a lot of a lot of the people who migrate into this area do migrate into communities that are populated mostly by people like them, Hispanic communities. Uh, Lawrence is one of these gateway cities that we have worked in. Haverhill has become slowly but surely um, has been added to that gateway community. Methuen, uh, Lowell, and so as these gateway communities grow the community members feel more comfortable and apt to buy. They have better resources in their languages that they can, you know, use to get into the home buying process. Um, so I think it might be easier for the people coming into our country now than for those who came in back in the 70s and 80s um, as far as resources are concerned. I think there's still a lot of work to do, but we have as a, com- as a country a long way in providing the right resources financially and educationally for for minorities in our community. You mentioned cities like Lawrence, Massachusetts, um, and there's many others across the country that are these gateway communities. Um, sometimes they get a b- bad rap, um, the gateway communities, um, from other members of the population, but they really do serve as a hub that people can make that transition um, for for a couple reasons. Um, what do you think is the top reason that a, a city like Lawrence is really pivotal in getting people started in their journey um, to um, live in the mainland and also be resources and, and start to build wealth? Um, what do you think the number one or, or two reasons why these gateway cities are really important to populations coming in and wanting to um, grow their wealth and, and build a family um, in, in, in uh, the mainland U.S.? I, I have to say that in the city of Lawrence and in some of these gateway cities, it is incredibly important um, to have political backing. And I feel like because our mayors in these cities are Hispanic, and they come from the same immigrational background. Uh, they are, they've gone through the process of home ownership, of getting jobs, of all these things that we have to do to 
get to that goal. I feel like the political representation in these communities is is essential. It's, it's so key because they, these are the people that bring programs to the communities. These are the people that make the connections with the financing institutions, you know, with government to ensure that the policies are in place that allow for minorities to buy homes. And, you know, I worked for Lawrence Community Works. I actually managed their um, rental affordable housing communities uh, for a better part of seven years. And, you know, that is an organization within the city of Lawrence that's very involved, not just politically, but also uh, grassroots connections to the community. And they believe very strongly in developing affordable housing and, you know, giving first-time homebuyer opportunities. So they literally buy abandoned buildings, pick them up and sell them to low-income families. And they, they connect with lenders and banks that are willing to provide financing. And so I think that, you know, having a political representation and having organizations within the community that are passionate about giving minorities an opportunity is, is really important for the growth of, of minorities. Advocacy um, for every group is really, really important. Advocacy um, has really um, not been as transparent or available to all groups um, in this country. And when people ask me, you know, what's the difference between, you know, um, a Latino company, a a Latino family or an Asian family or a black family being able to acquire the same things um, as their um, white counterparts, you know, what's the, you know, everybody has the same opportunity. That's not necessarily true. Um, a lot of the opportunities that are available are here because someone advocated for that group, someone advocated for that uh, region uh, to get mm-hmm. things done. It's, it's, um, it, it shouldn't be as political or um, as, as it is, but it really, it does start with advocating for yourself, advocating for your community, um, and av- you know, advocating for your family um, to be able to get the things done. Resources are not just there for us, to your point. I'm glad, so glad that you worked in the community. Um, do you think that uh, your community work, Jen, helped you understand not only your own challenges and your, and your, and your family uh, and generations um, that you saw come through, but um, the greater population um, p- uh, folks other than uh, Puerto Ricans coming through um, Massachusetts, your work with the community, how did it help you really formulate, wow, you know, there's are some solutions here and I can really be a community advocate. I think it's important to connect yourself with, you know, like with the resources that are around you. And I, and I feel for me just being a part or just being around, you know, people like the Northeast Association of Realtors also being around Lawrence Community Work, uh, the National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals. These are all organizations that really care deeply about uh, minorities. And I feel like my being involved, my being in sort of the trenches with them and growing the the real estate market for our community has certainly, you know, helped me become more appreciative of the work that has been done to get to where we are today. And like I said before, there's certainly much more that we could be doing my way of, you know, equitable household income. I think that we're still lagging there a little bit. Um, access to credit, you know, is, is something that we could improve on as well. Um, and so I think an education is always really important. So I'm a huge advocate for education. I think people need to learn 
about home ownership and, and, and what it brings to your life. Because I think there's a, there's a misconception still within our community That's right. about one, getting into home ownership. And then two, what happens once you become an owner, you know, we have to remember that when the housing crisis um, took place back in 2005 and six, seven, um, it was, you know, 1 million Hispanic or minorities lost their homes to foreclosure to predatory lending. And that left a really bad taste in people's mouth. And so we, as the real estate professionals who speak the language, who understand our culture, we really need to reconnect with our community and, and dispel some of the misconceptions that were brought on by that experience. You and your team are doing um, a great job with that education piece, right? So there's advocacy, then there's education. If you think about those pillars um, of being able to connect with your community, talk to me a little bit about what you're finding in your home ownership, um, home buying workshops. You know, that we, uh, we assume that everyone's asking about rates, but there's probably a couple other things that you're finding that are consistent trends with uh, home buyers, whether they're first time home buyers or home buyers just trying to navigate the market. Um, in, in as chaotic as it is right now, what what are you hearing? What are you seeing in terms of trends? So one of the things that we hear a lot at our seminars is, you know, how much money do you and that's always if if we cannot if we cannot give a low down payment mortgage financing programs to minorities, it's very difficult for them to come up with twenty percent right. of having up with, you know, your down payment plus your closing costs and prepaid plus your home inspection fee plus your appraisal fee. It's a very costly process. So a lot of them come into it saying, okay, I make this much, this much saved up and, you know, how much more do I need? And I feel like there's a real question around, you know, can I afford this? Can I afford not just paying the monthly mortgage, but also, you know, money do I need to come to this? Because let's face it, right? There's, there's, you know, the, the, the working class has the jobs. It's, it's the, uh, it has the income. It is because of the inflation and day-to-day expenses. It's hard to be liquid, right? It's hard to have a savings for planning for the future. Uh, the, the incomes are there. Um, we have uh, you know, uh, uh, fairly decent wages, but with inflation, it's eating away at any of the savings uh, that right. the average American can, can, can have. So if you're planning for large purchase like a home, having the liquidity to be able to, to put money away to, um, to be able to afford those closing costs, the down payment and other fees that are associated with actually finalizing a purchase become um, uh, um, unachievable. Right, right. And that's why they largely depend on reliable access to mortgages that require a minimum down payment of 5% or less, because that's the only way they're going to be able to buy into these, these properties. And now with the interest rate being what it is, you know, it, it's a very daunting process from a financial standpoint. Um, a lot of people are saving, you know, three, five years worth of, of, you know, income tax returns or whatever it is that they're doing just to apply for a mortgage. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a long process for them. It's not as easy. Um, we've seen with minorities to, to get there. So when they come to the table and they're ready to buy, you know, they, they put a lot of work, a lot of work into this, a lot of work into their credit 
because uh, that's another thing that we lack in our community is the education around credit, credit right. and how credit works and how to improve your credit and how to keep it healthy right, so that you're not having issues later on with your interest rates or with anything else. And so, you know, I think um, just making sure that people are educated on credit and, and having access to these, you know, you know, low mortgage or down payment mortgages is, is key for minorities. So when you're working with um, the minority population, ethnic minority population in this country as a real realtor and real estate professional, are you now having a longer lead time um, for the process uh, when you're committed to having this segment of the population a niche? You mentioned a few barriers to getting to close. Um, you mentioned credit scores. You could mention down payment um, uh, availability. So the average time that you're working with a first-time home buyer, are you dig you get your team digging in a year ahead of time, knowing that within 12 months they'll be ready, or is it a shorter lead time now? It, it really depends on the client. When we do our consultations with our clients and we bring in our preferred lenders just to give us quotes and estimates on where these people are, you know, we give them, it's either you're ready today or we have a three-month process or a six month or a one year. And in that process, we're always looking to, to pair them with grants that are available in the communities that they're looking to buy. Um, any, any free money that we could get them um, that will help them with down payment assistance or with closing costs. It's, it's just, it helps them keep some more money in their pocket and um, have some kind of a reserve for their properties. Um, as they move forward with their purchase. But yeah, I, I guess with, it, it depends on the individual. I think more recently, people, because there is more education out there, um, they, they kind of self-screen and they come to us and they're like, all right, well, listen, I already have the, the twenty-five or $30,000 that I think I need to buy. I think I'm ready to go. And then we have our, our consultation. Um, we're not seeing as many. I have no money saved up. I, my credit is shot and I want to buy a house. So we're not seeing as many of those anymore because I feel like the, the community is more educated in that regard. Right. But we, we um, don't turn away anyone that has that that dream, and we just put them on the path of home ownership at that point. It could be a three, six, one-year, two-year plan, but, you know, the the goal is to get them there. It's funny you mentioned that, that – um by the time they come to you guys, they've done their research. And one of the things that um, we notice from our insights and research team is particularly uh, Latino millennials are very digital uh, centric. Um, so mm -hmm. how are you, how is your team using uh, digital to get uh, some of this information out about home ownership and home buying process? You know, I honestly love it. I, you know, a lot of agents, um, I, I'm from the old school. I, I we used to do faxes. Okay, I might be. We have to back in the day, our, fax. Back yeah, in the day, fax. And or you have to go carry your offer over to the next office. You know that's how we did it. Um, I I love I love that our consumers have access to information. I think that that's really important, um, and I think it makes us as real estate professionals better because we need to know our stuff. We need to be on top of our game. We need to know what's going on in our market because we are working with, you know, more educated and, and better versed, you know, buyers in this market. I think it's great. I think that they come to, to the picture with an understanding. I think we also need to dispel some ideas and, you know, information that they get that's incorrect. But I think it's, I think it's great. And I think that the millennials 
especially, uh, they come into it with a really good, a broad mindset. You know, they, they know that there are a lot of resources uh, where before people just weren't um, willing or, you know, to, to accept grants or, or you know, other types of, of lending um, options that, that are out there for you. And so I think that it's great. I think that the digital uh, world that we're in is very favorable for the consumer. And I think that, you know, we as realtors need to adapt and adopt and, uh, and just keep working with them and just help them navigate through the process. Because it, it is an information overload, I feel, sometimes. But, right. you know, if you know what you're doing and you can, you can guide your clients properly, I think you can work within, you know, the digital world for sure. So give us a sense of, of um, the top three platforms that you think that you are able to reach, um, particularly this, this um, Hispanic millennial buyer um, that's in the market, they're under 45, um, they have tons of spending power, and they put digital first. Which, which platforms are you on where you're able to reach that uh, home buyer? So Instagram is definitely one of the, the platforms that we use quite heavily. Also Facebook um, is one of the platforms that we use pretty heavily and we're merging into TikTok. I feel TikTok is one of those up and coming. Um, it's, you, we have to change the way we market ourselves and our, in our business because people's attention span nowadays are it's so short. It is. You know, it is. Eight seconds. Be able, eight seconds. Yeah, eight seconds. You got to <laughs> be able to grab them. And then if they're interested, they might go to your YouTube page and, and look at what else you have to offer. Um, but yeah, primarily we do Facebook. I love Facebook because there's a community based situation there where you can That's tag right. other communities, um, and people who are in those communities can forward your information out to other people. We really love Facebook. It's, it's really powerful, uh, search engine for us or social media engine. Uh, Instagram is great for, like I said, those short posts, Hey, grab attention. We love using it for our seminars, anything that we have educational, projects that we have going on, any community events that we're participating in, um, those are really fun to use. And then TikTok is just a great way to connect with the younger generation who are, you know, looking into home ownership, who are maybe thinking about it. And it's a great way to connect with them and sort of plant that seed um, of home ownership in the near future. I think that I think you're you're absolutely spot on. Um, Facebook offers uh, the groups which you can get in, and there's a lot of groups um, based on ethnic backgrounds and and uh, lifestyles. Um, so that's awesome. And then, like you said, Instagram and TikTok are very um, uh, young and and uh, gener- and and generate lots of interest from um, millennials and now this upcoming Gen Z. So you guys are on those uh, uh, strategically, and um, those definitely are where uh, this this sector sets. Let's talk a little bit about the home seller um, today in the market. Um, very challenged, um, challenged with uh, coming off of COVID, having to decide whether to retire early um, or to kind of lay low. And then interest rates start to rise. And it's sort of like um, there are many that are sort of prisoners of their own home at this point, um, just sitting on the sidelines. Um, but I think you, you know, you and I have talked and that's not necessarily the right thing for everybody. Um, wh- when would it be the opportunity, you know, what would indicate that you probably should explore um, putting the home on the market? I mean, there are so many reasons why people sell sell their homes, you know. Some 
some are selling because they've outgrown the home. Some are selling it to pull equity out. Some are selling it because they're going through a divorce. Some are selling it because the owner passed away and it's an estate sale. You know, there are so many reasons. It's such a personal, it is such a personal, personal um, thing that uh, the sellers have to decide for themselves. I think, I think right now what we're seeing in our market are sellers um, who are looking to move into the 55 plus or assisted living community. That is the big one that we're seeing um, some some activity on. Uh, we're also seeing um, some activity with uh, sellers who are looking to make a profit and maybe move south somewhere where it's a little warmer, a little cheaper. So we're seeing some of that going on. But like you said, Lisa, a lot of people are just staying put. The market has been pretty volatile in the past few years, you know, whether it's on the price point, on the price, you know, point or on the interest rate. We've just kind of been all over the place and people are just looking for some normalcy. They want to see that, all right, if we're going to be at 7%, we're at 7 I don't care. I'll sell it, but I just want to make sure we're at 7 consistently for at least a year, <laughs> you know, and so <laughs> right. and that, that's what we're getting, right? We're sitting there saying, listen, I don't, I don't mind buying at a 7%. Shoot. I used to, I used to, I remember when I paid 12% for mine, you know, or 9% for mine back when I bought it in whatever, you know? And if you have a so, credit card today, you're paying 26% if not 30. Right, exactly. So exactly. So a lot of these sellers, they're smart, you know, they're, they're just fighting their time. Um, but when someone needs to sell, they do it. It's, it's the, the interest rate and the prices don't really matter too much. I think also the sellers are starting to realize that because the interest rates are so high, or not so high, but, you know, the interest rates are what they are, because they are not so high. Let's be real. In yes, the past they're not. Years, this is not the so high of it. But um, they're starting to realize that just putting their properties out there for a really it's super in amount. It's just not fair to the consumer. And I think the sellers are starting to reconcile that, you know what, we need to put our, we need to price our homes fairly and we need to work with the consumer and meet them where they're at. And I think a lot of sellers are starting to come to that place where they're like, you know what, we don't need to freaking make an extra $200,000 on this. We can walk away with this much, you know, and be happy. I, I, and hope, I, I hope that's the case. That That would be great. Um, there definitely is a lot of price gouging and unrealistic uh, expectations from you as a real estate agent of what that home will purchase for. We're still, you know, still in the mindset of COVID where there was a frenzy. Right, right. Are those days, are those days gone? Are you still getting um, multiple offers? We are still getting multiple offers on the listings. I don't know that people are going, you know, so we were getting offers, Lisa, that there were 100,000 over asking. And they would offer a $100,000 appraisal gap because they were pulling money from their 401ks or wherever they were pulling money from to cover the gap if the bank didn't appraise the property at what they were offering. And so these owners were making crazy money on these houses. But I think COVID had a lot to do with that. People were were homebound. They couldn't go anywhere. And home took on a different meaning for people. And I think it still does nowadays, even post COVID home is, has just taken a different meaning in our lives. And so I think, um, you know, people were just willing to do it where now we're back to almost normal and we're not, people are not willing to go that high, but they are willing to, you know, put their money where their mouth is. The, the environment is different too. When I was growing up, you always, 
you know, the little old lady down the street, when she passed away, there was a new young family that would move into that home. And that's how the generations in the community just kept going. Um, Now that little old lady down the street, she's living a lot longer uh, than than, uh, 30, 40 years ago. So um, it's interesting you talk about the 55 and over communities because those communities are thriving um, because people are living longer. They're more active longer. Um, and they, they want to be in a community where they have the similar lifestyles. So, I, you know, we have been reading that a lot of the home uh, inventory issues um, were already there just because the community members are living longer. Um, living longer. But I love what you guys are doing in the community. Um, I think, um, you know, your home buying seminars uh, are are just been uh, fantastic for the community, for all community members. And then again, focusing on those who may be left behind. Um, You know, you guys making that one of your niches and and a DNA of your um, of your of your business is great work. Just you know, in closing, what does it feel like? Right, we said they come to you with uh, with education. Uh, the the, the uh, home buyer and the home seller they're they're educated already on what they need and, and and where they are in the process. And then finally, it's able to be happened. What does that feel like? What do you you know? How do you guys feel um, when you're able to take them all the way to the finish line? I mean, it feels amazing. I, it doesn't get old. I'll tell you this, Lisa. I, I can't even, I don't even know how many transactions I've closed. I've been at this since 2005 and it doesn't get old. You know, Aww. we just still um, last month with a gentleman who attended our seminar in February. Wow. We connected him with a lender. He was kind of wishy-washy. He wasn't sure he was going to buy or if he was ready. We connected him with a uh, cross country mortgage. They got him. He bought in Manchester, New Hampshire. And so they got him all the grants that Manchester, New Hampshire is offering, which, by the way, great, great place. To See, go you need talk. an advocate. See, you need an advocate. You need someone saying, look, I know exactly how we can fill this problem and this goal. Absolutely. And that's what we, we do. We know enough. We know we're connected well enough also in the industry that we can connect you with the right resources so that you have a successful transaction. And I mean, this guy and his wife, six months after the seminar, closed on their property. And I, we That's went out insane. for breakfast. That's insane. That's insane. And we did, Lisa, we, we saw 75 homes and we put, I think it was 16 offers. He was not willing to waive his home inspection. Good for him. Good for him. And so, and you, and you guys probably, and you guys were advocating for that point, correct? Yeah, yeah. right. We we're like, listen, it's okay. Yeah. Whatever. It's not meant to be, you know, I, I'm not going to have you wait, especially on multifamilies and things like that, you know, which is what they bought. And um, they closed on their property and we were out for breakfast and he was just telling us like, he couldn't believe it. He's like, I, I never in my wildest dreams thought in six months I would be a homeowner. And he actually went to the seminar we hosted this weekend and he talked to the, you know, to the, uh, the folks that, that showed up and, and, and he was saying what a great experience it had been uh, because it, was, it, it wasn't a transactional deal. We don't, we try not to be transactional with our clients. We want you to know that we do deeply care about your success. We want you to have not one home, not two homes, when you have three of them. And then we want to be an entrepreneur. And start a business. That's right. And, you know, really start making some real impact in our community. Um, And I think that that translates in the work that we do. And we love it. We love what we do. My husband and I, Moses and I, 
we're a husband and wife team. We have an amazing team of five, uh, four other agents. Two of three of us are licensed in New Hampshire. We have Paola Franco, Kathy Mack, we have Johanny Ulloa, and um, and we have a great team of auxiliaries like Idania Peta and Paul Fitzpatrick. Uh, they help us run the day-to-day in our office, and we're just very fortunate. Dariali, she's our transaction coordinator. She kills it, making sure that your deals close on time, your escrows are protected. And so, you know, it's, it's a family affair. We, we love what we do, and we love serving our community for sure. That is wonderful. Listen, you guys have the tenacity based on what you just outlaid in the process. You hang in there. You also come from the community. And so you understand the unique challenges and problems that that, that um, in order to serve uh, your your community the best. Um, and then uh, um, the, the high home buying and home selling process, um, including a real estate agent or realtor is under fire right now. But Jen, you just laid it out. You just laid it out. That value that you had mm-hmm. um, to, number one, starting with the education of that particular uh, buyer that you mentioned, six months out, helping them through 75 uh, properties, having a wavering opinion about the inspection, um, and then helping them through the closing process. If anyone ever uh, challenged the value of a real estate professional, you just laid it out, lady. So I thank you so much for that. And um, I'm going to have you and Moses on next time because we're going to talk about having a family-owned business and working with your husband. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. do you have for that exactly we'll have to have you guys back so he can defend himself (laughs) we love you guys we love the work you're doing in the community um you stay true you're authentic and your value proposition um on what you just uh, gave us an example um is at the highest level so we thank you and other professionals out there that are working hard uh, to support home ownership with underserved communities hey jen we'll have you back we'll have moses back thank you and have a wonderful day